Hey listeners, this is Ashvin from Horror Movie Club with a quick announcement before our episode. This Saturday, December 26th, Brian and I are going to be hosting a Netflix watch party and watching The Autopsy of Jane Doe. This movie is going to be leaving Netflix in January, and we thought it would be fun to revisit it and hopefully get to chat with some of you throughout the movie. We're going to be hosting the party at 8.30 Eastern Time. Uh, we'll be posting the details on how to join on our Facebook and Twitter page probably about 10 to 15 minutes before the show starts on Saturday. Uh, so again, this Saturday, September 26th, 8.30 Eastern Time. Join us for a Netflix watch party to watch the autopsy of Jane Doe. We hope you'll join us and we look forward to chatting it up with you. Thanks and uh, enjoy the episode. Hey there, listeners. Welcome to Horror Movie Club, the show where two dudes who are not quite nerds but not quite noobs choose a horror movie each week to rate and review. I'm Brian. I'm on the phone with Ashvin, and today we are celebrating Christmas with a discussion on Gremlins from 1984, directed by Joe Dante, written by Chris Columbus, starring Zach Galligan, Phoebe Cates, and Hoyt Axton. And in this film, wacky hijinks abound when murderous monsters wreak havoc upon the peaceful small town of Kingston Falls. And I chose this because it's quintessential Christmas horror, and we haven't covered it yet. And I loved Gremlins as a kid. Did you ever get into this as a kid, Ash? Yeah, I mean, I feel like this was one of the first uh, horror movies I saw as a kid. Um, how old were you when you first saw it? I was telling my wife, I'm pretty sure I was like five, five yeah. or six. Because <laughs> it was PG back then, right? Yeah, yep. Yeah, so definitely uh, in our age group, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. There's a whole story behind that. I mean, or that goes with that. This movie and Indiana Jones Temple of Doom inspired the creation of the PG-13 rating. Like two months later or something, right? Yeah. This movie, Gremlins, was released on June 8th, 1984, and PG-13 went into effect on July 1st, 1984, weeks <laughs> later. <laughs> Lucky for us kids. We got it. We got it yeah. Right <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I didn't realize this was like, uh, released in the summer. Yeah, isn't that weird? June for a Christmas movie? Yeah, I totally thought this would have been like more around the holidays or something. Yeah. And basically parents were kind of upset that they took their kids to see this movie and it was pretty violent and intense. Yeah. <laughs> and same with Temple of Doom where somebody essentially gets their heart ripped out. Yeah. I mean, that's so crazy to like bulk all movies like that weren't R in this PG category, which what, what is PG? That's like uh, anyone... Like between the ages of, what would you say, like uh, three or four to 17? <laughs> I don't think that there's an age range on it even. It's just parental guidance is recommended. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. That's a... Yeah. Yeah. I, I can't imagine yeah, young kids walking out of the theater seeing this one. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And it had a bit of a charming... Um, trailer which i think some people felt misled by and steven mm -hmm. spielberg's name was on it so people thought you know et or something like that yeah and it, this was maybe like two years after et or something something like that yeah and you know i, I just rewatched et too and yeah that's, that's such like a kid-friendly thing and so many similarities like you have that cute uh alien or animal at like the center of this so right. yeah, I, I could see people being misled yeah yeah and 
Spielberg was instrumental. He basically like asked for the PG-13 rating to be created because he and, you know, all of Hollywood, I assume, knew that PG was the money-making rating. Like that made the biggest money. PG-13 still does make the most money. You can market to kids and merchandise to kids and stuff like that. So Mm -hmm. he wanted the ability to keep movies like this in PG-13 with still making, still being able to make big dollars off of them. So PG-13 is still like the biggest moneymaker out of the three or four? It is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I thought I read somewhere that it makes like, I couldn't remember. It was like three times as much on average as an R-rated movie. Hmm. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Broadest appeal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and this movie was very successful. It had a budget of 11 million and a box office of, I'm going to call it 153 million. It totaled 213 million, but they re-released it months later. So I almost feel like that's unfair to include that in the numbers. Oh, so it like came out, it went away and then it came back out? Yeah. It came back in the fall for a while or late summer, maybe. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Do you know, do you know why that was the case? I, I don't know why they brought it back. I couldn't find that. Mm, okay. Uh, but yeah, that, that's that's pretty strong. Like ten times its earnings, or its its cost at least. Yeah, something like fourteen times its its earnings. It would have been three hundred eighty-one million today. Wow. So somewhere in the range of a movie, like movies, just make more money today. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. somewhere in the range of like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood or Knives Out was in that dollar range last sure. year. Um, and it was the fourth highest grossing film of the year behind Ghostbusters, Temple of Doom, and Beverly Hills Cop. <laughs> uh, Ghostbusters came out the same day too, right? Same day, yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. They, yeah, that's so random. Like two uh, kind of horror theme comedy films coming out in June. I, it just seems so bizarre. Yeah, yeah. And an American Werewolf in London probably sparked a lot of that. Yeah, right. That horror comedy trend of the 80s. Yeah, was that uh, a year or two before this as well? Yeah, that was 1980. Oh my gosh, we just did an episode on it and I already forget. <laughs> I think it was 1981. Yeah, yeah, and that kind of blew the doors open for this kind of stuff. Well-reviewed movie, Rotten Tomatoes, 85% for critics, 78% for users, uh, an IMDb score of 7.3 out of 10, and Letterboxd of 3.6 out of 5. And, I mean... Gizmo, it's just so lovable, right? It's hard not to like this movie for Gizmo alone. I know, I know. You can just like watch him for like two hours. Yeah. It's pretty pretty adorable. This actually marks a uh, a horror movie club first because I watched this movie with my wife. Whoa, that's awesome. Yeah. I that's was a- like, it's a Christmas movie and it's rated PG. <laughs> <laughs> you got her on that. I got her. Uh, what, was, uh, what were her feelings? Was it too scary at the end or... She no, she like liked it. She oh, liked okay. it, and she loved Gizmo. Yeah, yeah. Gizmo I think makes she it. Our uh, our one year old has the same essence as Gizmo. <laughs> That's funny. I got I got the same comments, but it was it was about our uh, our pup or like our dog. <laughs> G- yeah, <laughs> so did Gizmo, you watch it with your wife as well? Uh, she she walked in on it a few times. Gotcha. Uh, but yeah, I, th- I think uh, Gizmo's just got like that really relatable kind of like bug eyed kind of look. Yeah, yeah. So cute. Yeah. Um, and and that's crazy that uh, the voice was Howie Mandel. Yeah, right. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> that's so wild. Um, I also noticed that Michael Winslow from the Police Academy movies was uh, one of the voices for the Gremlins. Oh no! Do you remember kidding, him? Really? He was the guy who would just make all sorts of wacky noises. Yeah, yeah. He was like my favorite character. 
yeah. he does he does the gremlins in this yeah i mean there are multiple people who voice the gremlins um but he was one of the voices oh wow yeah that's awesome um and gizmo it was kind of spielberg's decision to keep gizmo a mogwai for the whole movie because he was originally supposed to transform into stripe yeah yeah right i saw that yeah, Chris Columbus's original script was a lot darker, apparently. Right. So there's a scene in the movie where Billy enters to find his mom being attacked by a gremlin and he saves her. And in the original script, he enters to find his mom's head rolling down the steps. <laughs> oh, man, I was kind of bummed uh, Spielberg intervened and like uh, changed the tone of it. That, that would have been wild. Yeah, it would be interesting to have seen what it would have been like had it gone the other way. Right, yeah. You think that was to keep it PG, or you think if it had gone that way, it definitely would have been R? I think it was probably a little bit to keep it PG and to to really milk the cuteness of Gizmo, maybe. Yeah, right, right. Keep him as a good guy the whole time. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, I don't think this... I know Gremlins is talked about a lot in the horror community, but I'm not sure if the score is talked about as much as it should be. Yeah, I really hear about it, but it kind of has its own theme song, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, and the music's by Jerry Goldsmith, who's mm-hmm. done a ton of stuff. Uh, some of his notable scores, Planet of the Apes, Chinatown, The Omen, which he won an Oscar for, Alien, Total Recall, Basic Instinct, a bunch more. Yeah. And I, I just think that music, it's so iconic, and it really fits the tone of the movie. Right, right. Just the mischievous, silly horror yeah, yeah, it does. And then uh, even like Gizmo's like singing like the tune of it at some points. So it's kind of embedded in the plot at points, which is yeah. Kind of cool. I thought Gizmo's little tune is so beautiful to me. Yeah, yeah, like it gives it kind of that mystical vibe. Yeah, really cool. Yeah, um, but yeah, you're right. It's kind of like it's not spoken about too much. I guess there's a Peter Gabriel song in there too, which I didn't realize uh, while watching the movie. Oh, I didn't catch that. Yeah, let's <laughs> we'll have to get that soundtrack. <laughs> Um, I never noticed in this viewing, so I, I did know that the concept of gremlins was something from World War II, and it was like a jokey explanation for mechanical failures in yeah. British aircraft. Um, and I never noticed until this viewing that a lot of the mischief they cause, we'll talk about it as we walk through the plot, is kind of via that mechanical tinkering or mischief. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> They're like very mechanical, like mechanically targeted. They're going yeah. after a lot of things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It definitely has its roots in that like old uh, folklore or mythology or something that came from World War II. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I- interesting historical connection. For sure, yeah. And you've got the character, Mr. Futterman, who, who brings that uh, background into the movie and kind of foreshadows the the appearance of the gremlins yeah uh so gremlins i mean like yeah that term came out of world war ii and there's also a book i think um already like before this film which kind of talked about gremlins but um it sounds like the depiction of them in the book versus this is pretty different okay yeah i'm not too familiar with the book and i remember a bugs bunny cartoon from way back when where he's like yeah i can't remember if he's flying a plane or driving a car and there's a gremlin climbing around right wreaking havoc yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Like th- those things came, I think, before this movie, and I-, I think Joe Dante says like they had little influence on him or something. But this this felt like a big divergent, I think. Gotcha. Um, dude, can you believe how good the Gremlins look? No, that's incredible, and it, like it ages really well. 
Yeah, I mean, between this and an American Werewolf, just two times recently where I've watched him been blown away. Right. Yeah. Like I can't even figure out how. <laughs> like I know they're puppets, but I, you're just watching, and I'm like, that's real to me. Like that is yeah. a real monster. I know. I know. Even Gizmo, he looks so real. Yeah. Yeah, and I think the uh, Mogwai maybe look a little less real than the Gremlins. Sure. But even so, they still look great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, did you see that? Like the cost for each one was like thirty to forty thousand dollars. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah, s- supposedly. And then I guess, I guess, like they would have to make sure none of, none of like the cast were walking off with them. Uh, so yeah, that's, <laughs> it, it, it really shows though. Like, yeah, the Gremlins are done really well. They are, man. So cool. And my wife thought they looked great too. Which I feel like sometimes after you know three years of this podcast, I'm looking at things from a perspective of what the special effects folks had to go through to make this and yeah it was cool to get someone's perspective who's just a movie watcher and she was like yeah those look amazing (laughs) yeah yeah they look legit yeah i know and it it, it kind of uh like i feel like if they made this movie today it would be like a lot of cgi and stuff and that's what was so great about this era i feel like it was all uh yeah uh, things you could like pick up and like actual like puppets and things which was awesome yeah so cool yeah. Um, and those were designed by a guy named Chris Wallace, who worked on E.T., Return of the Jedi, The Fly, Arachnophobia, Raiders of the Lost Ark. So. Oh, cool. Did you some... notice like a lot of similarities between the Gremlins and like other monsters of that era? Not really. I mean, there's a... When I think of Gremlins, I also think of like Ghoulies and Critters mm-hmm. movies from that era, but I have never seen either of those movies. Oh, okay. Oh, you've never seen Goonies? Uh, no, Ghoulies. Oh, Did I ghoulies. say Goonies? I meant Ghoulies. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, I think you said Ghoulies. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, yeah, I haven't seen that one either. Um, yeah, uh, that, it, well, I, yeah, I also thought, like, uh, aliens, there were some, like, aliens vibes with, like, the way they came out of their, uh, eggs and, like, the way, like, their ears moved from their eyes kind of reminded me of aliens. And, uh, I thought, do you remember that movie, um, oh, man, what was the movie with He-Man, Masters of the Universe? Did you ever see that one? I never saw that. Oh, there's a guy in there like eating fried chicken, and um, I think he's like a troll or something. And it reminded me a lot of like the, um, like that scene with like Gizmo and stuff where they're eating fried chicken. Okay, yeah, their little cocoons are a lot like the cocoon in Alien. Cocoon. Yeah, yeah, which made me think maybe there's like a lot of like cross uh, or crossover going on between a lot of these films in this era. Did you see something about an early attempt to make a monkey wear a gremlin head? Yeah. What, <laughs> like what that was, was going to be the approach instead of puppets? Yeah, and they tried that like for a second, right? That's what I read. I, I wanna, like, wanted to dig into that deeper and verify it, but I didn't have time. Yeah, that seems really problematic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That would have been interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, but these blew up. They were a huge part of pop culture. Uh there was Gremlins 2, The New Batch in 1990. There were tons of toys. There was a breakfast cereal. Um, there is. Did you see that there's an animated series coming to HBO Max? Yeah, I saw that. Hopefully next year, Gremlins Secrets of the Mogwai. Yeah, are you going to check that out? Yeah, I probably will. Yeah. Uh, serves as a prequel to this movie. And Columbus has written a script for Gremlins 3, but it remains to be seen whether that will ever turn into anything. Oh, okay. You saw the sequel? Yeah. Oh, that I was obsessed with the sequel. I yeah. drew pictures of Gremlins for like years. I had that on VHS and wore it out. I loved that movie. We'll have to yeah. cover that at some point if you don't, if you'll oh, indulge yeah. me. <laughs> for sure, man. Yeah, I've got a lot of early memories of that. I've seen that in years. 
I always liked that better than this one. Yeah, they definitely like. I feel like had a higher budget or something, or they went more overboard. They, uh, yeah, maybe, and they lean more into the humor in that one for sure. Yeah, do you remember the spider gremlin? That was scary. <laughs> that was insane. <laughs> I liked that Stripe. I think he was. I feel like he was called Mohawk in the second one. Had just like a blade as a mohawk instead of fur. Oh my god! <laughs> I thought it. I mean, not like a blade, but it was. It was something sharp and ominous looking. He looked yeah, really yeah. cool. Yeah, I th- yeah, definitely leaned into the comedy elements there. Yeah, yeah, there were a lot of jokey gremlins. Like right. just their their very appearance was like a spoof of old timey actors. Or right, yeah. There was the girl gremlin. Oh yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> Forgot about her. Yeah. Um, any other background on this before we hit the Ohio connection? Um, you know, one good thing that came out of this was uh, I googled a Phoebe Cates uh, scene from uh, Fast Times at Richmond <laughs> High. Have you seen that recently? Uh, I had never seen that movie until I was an adult. Oh, okay, okay. But I, I had a big crush on Phoebe Cates just because I was so obsessed with the the second one. Oh, the second Gremlins? Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, you know, I, I don't even remember her from this film, and then, uh, yeah, I saw that she was, like, considered for this role, but then they were kind of worried because of her uh, scene in that, so I had to go back and check that scene, and that was a pretty good scene. Um, she's, she's good. <laughs> Have you seen that movie before? Uh, no, I don't think so. Is it is it any good? I honestly don't remember. I, I, I feel like it was forgettable. I think I know it was classic to a lot of people at the time, but yeah, it seems like one of those things going back on it. There were probably so many movies like it that as an adult going back, it may not make that big of an impact on you, but sure, you should check yeah. it out. Let me know how you feel about it. Yeah. I feel like it was more one of those movies, uh, kids sought out because it had like a lot of nudity or something. Yeah. Yeah. Could be. Yeah. I, that was the only context I heard about it in, in high school or something. Um, but, uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I like her though. She's, she's pretty good. Yeah. And I forget to mention, you know, Joe Dante, to the Howling, Piranha, The Burbs, Gremlins 2, and Chris Columbus also wrote the Goonies screenplay and also is most notably a director and producer, and he directed some of my favorites as a kid as well, Adventures in Babysitting, Home Alone, Mrs. Doubtfire. Yeah. Did two of the Harry Potter movies, so. That's incredible. These people involved in Gremlins are a big deal. I know, yeah, yeah. I think they've had uh, successful careers. Hey, have you yeah. seen uh, The Howling? Yeah, we watched it together. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> Are you sure? Yeah, yeah. We had a phone call where we talked about it. Oh, man. Yeah, I feel like I've heard you mention that movie once or twice. And I think I'm thinking of another movie every time you mention it. Because I, I don't remember this uh, film, but okay. We should cover it at some point. Make up for our uh, lost time on werewolves. Yeah, yeah. Good deal. That and Ginger Snaps. Could be good right. 2021 goals. Yeah, yeah. Catch up. That'd be good. All right, buddy. You ready for me to uh, hit the Ohio Connection? Yeah, let's hear it. And as I'm reading over it, I'm realizing I just kind of stepped on Alex's toes a bit. But our friend Alex uh, connects every movie we watch to our home state of Ohio for us. And Alex owns the bar and restaurant called Jukebox in Cleveland, Ohio. You can swing by, pick up food, beer, or wine safely from your car or order on Grubhub. Um, 
and Alex says Gremlins was only the second major motion picture screenplay for longtime director, writer, producer Chris Columbus. He wrote The Goonies a year later before shifting to directing with iconic films like Adventures in Babysitting, Home Alone, and Home Alone 2, Lost in New York, Mrs. Doubtfire, as well as two Harry Potter films. He seems to have an affinity toward Christmas movies, having also been attached to Christmas with the Cranks, The Christmas Chronicles 1 and 2, and Jingle All the Way. Although he was born in Spangler, PA, Columbus was raised in Trumbull County and ultimately graduated from John F. Kennedy High School located in Warren, Ohio. Whoa, that's awesome. Yeah. Does anybody say Pennsylvania, PA? I don't know why. I've always <laughs> done that. You <laughs> was, was just called PA? Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, not like PA, but when I read the abbreviation, I say PA. I don't do that for any other state. Oh. Um, what do you mean? Like if, if you read the abbreviation for Ohio, isn't it OH? Yeah, but I don't read it as like Warren OH. I just read oh. Spangler PA. Oh, oh got Some it. Sort got of it. a moron. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's a distant one to connect. Yeah. So it's a long name. Yeah. Well, good connection, Alex. I, I would have never caught that Chris Columbus had an Ohio history. Yeah. Yeah. That's incredible. I didn't know he did a jingle all the way. That's amazing. Yeah. And Spielberg actually, I think was born in Cincinnati. Oh, right. Yeah, that was another one of his uh, finds, I think. Yeah, yeah, I think he's used that one in the past. So yeah. he will not reuse that Alex. Yeah, he's <laughs> so he's on the hunt. Cool. Well, buddy, let's uh, walk through the plot and spoil some stuff and review it. But uh, before we do that, I'm really thirsty. Do you mind if I go get a drink and call you right back? Sure, sounds good. All right, I'll call you right back. All right. Hey, buddy. I'm back. Hey, did you get that drink? Uh, yeah, I had a craving for some orange juice, and my wife is sort of a tinkerer, and she created some sort of contraption to juice the oranges, and boy, what a wacky mess that turned out to be. <laughs> did, you, did you get a glass or anything? Or <laughs> Finally, I just drank it right off the mechanism. Nice. <laughs> just licked it up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Licked it off the cupboards. Nice, nice. So it was a success. Yeah. Uh, I'm really upset that the Peltzer inventions weren't more utilized in the oh, plot. Oh, yeah. They could have been like weapons, right? Like later on? It just feels like, you know, I love this movie and it's got a lot of nostalgic connections for me, but there were a lot of missed opportunities I noticed as I watched with a keener eye this time. Yeah, yeah. A few loose ends that don't get uh, like placed well. Yeah. Or given their degenerates, which I, I think, I don't know, like, so, so there's like a lot of editing going on too. So I don't know if there's like an uncut version, which might. Uh, give more of these things uh, the, the full ramp. Yeah, they finally released a version with deleted scenes, I feel like, not that long ago, so it'd be interesting to see those. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I also wonder like, how much of it was used in the original script, and then when it was revised, they lost some of that, but who knows. <laughs> oh, you mean like from the darker script to like, the more kid-friendly one yeah i'm wondering if some stuff was lost in the shuffle when they switched from a darker script to a yeah like you yeah, said yeah. more kid-friendly version yeah nah, man i hope not but yeah i mean i, I love that backdrop though of, of the inventions and it would have been cool to see that uh, yeah. like, be more meaningful um 
so the movie starts with our narrator, who happens to be our main character, Billy Peltzer's dad. Uh, he's in Chinatown looking for an exotic gift for his son, and he's in a small hidden away shop where he finds a strange creature called a mogwai. The shopkeeper refuses to sell it, but the shopkeeper's grandson arranges the sale behind his back. And we... I don't know if we really see a full shot of Gizmo here, but we see a little bit of him, and we hear his beautiful little song that he whistles. Mm -hmm. And the kid tells um, Mr. Peltzer the three rules, which are keep it away from bright light, especially sunlight, which will kill it, don't get it wet, and don't give it water to drink, and most importantly, don't feed it after midnight. So he brings the gift home to his son, Billy, (laughs) who... The way this movie is set up, you think Billy's going to be a little kid, but he's like 23. (laughs) I know. That is really weird, right? (laughs) Yeah. Um, And they really spend a lot of time fleshing out the characters and the town um, and like a cast of characters in the town. So we've got Billy working as a bank teller, kind of has a bit of an underachiever vibe. He's got a crush on his coworker, Kate, who hates Christmas. We don't know why yet. Um, Billy's dad is kind of a dreamer type who's a relatively unsuccessful inventor, and he's got all these weird gizmos that are overall pretty useless. Oh, gizmo. I just understood why he named him gizmo. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't put that together either. Uh, We meet the neighbor, Mr. Futterman, who goes on and on about foreign cars and is convinced there are gremlins in foreign machinery. And we meet who you think will go on to be a human antagonist in the plot of this monster movie, Mrs. Deagle, who's like the Mr. Scrooge of the town. She's a real Mm. estate developer who's super rich. Yeah. Uh, We see Billy ask Kate on a date. She says yes. And we see him kind of just bonding with Gizmo and getting to know him. A neighbor kid comes over, played by Corey Feldman, to see Gizmo, and he ends up spilling water on him. And little balls pop out of his back and create new creatures, new Mogwai, five new ones. And they are not nearly as sweet as Gizmo. And they engage in mostly harmless mischief until one night when they're begging for food. Billy gives it to them. He sees that it's only 11.35 p.m. It's not after midnight yet. And the next day when he wakes up, the Mogwai are gone except for Gizmo. And instead there are these five large goopy pod cocoon type things like an alien in Billy's bedroom. He realizes they cut the cord to the clock, so it stopped at 11.35 p.m., even though it was actually past midnight when he fed them. Um, so it's probably not until 45 minutes or so into the movie when you get a first look at the gremlins. Yeah, yeah, I feel like there's a pretty big buildup uh, to that moment. Yeah, yeah, so he's taken one of the Mogwai to uh, a, the school science teacher, and it creates another one by they, when they put a drop of water on it and they keep that one there for the science teacher to study. And that's the first time we see a gremlin. That's the first gremlin attack. Uh, it attacks the science teacher. <laughs> this movie, like in 1984, scored a little bit of points for having a black scientist, but then it lost them all by having the black guy be the first to die. Oh, man. <laughs> Falling into that trope. Yeah. Uh, I, I like that scene a lot, though. Like in the background, there's that video going on of like the human hearts, and I think it's like kind of uh, um, mirroring like the the scrumlin coming out and like taking life, and then just killing this dude. What do you think of that scene? Yeah, I thought it was a cool scene and pretty suspenseful. And he's trying to feed him a candy bar, um, 
this dude, it was a fairly small role, but he was a good actor, and he was a well-established actor, but I forgot to dig into what else he was in. Oh, yeah, yeah, I forget what else he was in. There's something yeah. else. Um, um, that, it was a well-done scene. It was dark. It, it's a bit of a trope in horror movies when you really think about it, a dark room with a projector running. Yeah, yeah, right. Some, something about that sound of the projector is just haunting. Right, um, right. But yeah, it was a cool scene, suspenseful. Um, and then Billy walks in on it and finds the scientist dead and tells nobody. Yeah, I know. <laughs> there's never a moment in the movie where he's like, hey, there's a dead dude. I know. I know. I kept waiting for him to like, call the police or something or like, uh, yeah, bring in like someone. But yeah. <laughs> he just like gets like a first aid kit for his hand. <laughs> he does try to reach for a phone and then the gremlin scratches his hand and then he's like, oh, fuck it. Yeah, someone I will tried. find him eventually. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a small town. Yeah, news gets around. Uh, yeah, we also see that meanwhile, all the gremlin pods, the cocoons in the Pelzer household have hatched, and Mrs. Pelzer goes upstairs, and she's kind of one of the uh, unsung badass women of horror, if you ask me. Mm-hmm. I agree. She notices upstairs that they've all hatched and creeps downstairs, and they're in the kitchen. And within like 30 seconds, she kills three of them. She puts one in a food processor, stabs one with a knife, and puts one in the microwave where it explodes. That was amazing. Yeah. And then Stripe is what they named one with a little fuzzy mohawk, who was kind of the leader of the little mogwais, is now still the leader as a gremlin. And he's in the Christmas tree and nearly gets the best of Mrs. Pelter. But then, as we mentioned before, Billy walks in. Hits it with a sword and saves her and... Or no, wait, that's not Mohawk. That's a different one because he knocks it into the fire where it burns. Um, uh, oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, Mohawk's sorry. like hiding like uh, behind them or something. Yeah, yep. Sorry, I called, I called him Mohawk, but Stripe in this one. Um, so Stripe oh, okay. ends up escaping the house. He's the only one to survive of these five, right? Yeah. Right, yep. So he escapes and makes his way to the YMCA and jumps into a swimming pool where we get a scene of the water bubbling. We don't know how many are created from that, but, you know, they later show just hundreds of them swarming the town. Did you notice uh, when he jumps into the water, like everything goes like red and green? It's like these red and green like Christmas strobe lights start going on and like all the smoke starts coming up. Oh, nice. Some Christmassy themes worked into there? Yeah. Yeah, I couldn't tell like what the logic was there, but yeah, but just hammering <laughs> the Christmas effect. Yeah. It's a Christmassy movie. I mean, Christmas is throughout. Yeah, yeah, that's true. They, they got plugged in. The whole town is decorated. Kate talks about how she hates Christmas, and mm-hmm. um, it's not like one of those movies where just Christmas is kind of the backdrop. It, it seems to be kind of involved in the plot. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um. And then it kind of increases in scope from here. The gremlins overrun Kate's bar. She's trying to serve them drinks and keep them content before she realizes they don't like bright lights. So she takes Polaroids to get out of there. And this is really just kind of a scene to showcase the humor of the gremlins. (laughs) Like in the bar, like playing poker and uh, fighting with each other. Yeah. Yep. Like they riff on a few movies, like movie spoofs that were popular at the time. Mm Um. And we see them hijack Futterman's snowplow and crash it into their house. We see Mrs. Deagle going up her stairs with one of those stair lifts, and the gremlins tinker with that, and it launches her out of the upstairs window, and she goes sailing through the air. This is where, like, what you were saying about, like, their mechanical aptitude was coming into play. 
yeah. they're also messing with like the town uh, traffic light and making right, it all, right, yeah. I think screen. they cut the brakes to a cop's car at one point. There's a yeah. snow plow, her chairlift. Right. They really built up Mrs. Deagle to be this villain, like yeah. it was going to come into play, and then. It's great where you see her die. I mean, <laughs> you know, she gets her comeuppance, but it's just like, okay, now she's gone. It, it never weaved back into the plot. I know. I was wondering about like those outstanding loans on like uh, those, those uh, because there's like a, some people in distress because she owns the property and she's after them for rent and, and like they're, they're trying to get her to be like forgiving. Like what, what happens to them? Do, do we know what the situation of those uh, rents are? Uh, I don't know, man. It, it, I wish there was just like a businessy sequel to every movie we watch just for you. I really appreciate that. To tie up the economics. <laughs> yeah. I, I just, because I, mean, I feel like that was a plot point in here. Similar to, you know, I, you, you recently watched uh, It's a Wonderful Life, right? Yeah. And they actually show a clip of this movie, of It's a Wonderful Life in this movie. And I think there are some themes there, again, that seem like they could have been touched on more. Um, mm-hmm. The town kind of thought of, that guy's dad, I can't remember the main character from It's a Wonderful Life, is like an unsuccessful businessman because he was kind of a soft heart. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of the way Billy's dad is and Billy's family is looked at similarly to the way their family was in It's a Wonderful Life. Right, right. Um, and then isn't they don't Mrs. really Deagle, go anywhere with that. Isn't Mrs. Deagle kind of like the, the guy who's trying to take over the bank or whatever? Right. Yeah, correct. Yeah. Yeah, 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 definitely. I think they they played to like a lot of those similar uh, other Christmas movie tropes or whatever. Yeah, yep, and you know the Mister Scrooge trope too. Oh yeah, yeah, right. Um. So yeah, hijinks ensue. The I do appreciate that we saw a bit of the town first and how it was a nice, small, peaceful town, so that it was a bit more impactful to see the town in complete ruins and having that gremlins wreak havoc on everything. Sure. Yeah. Um, in the conclusion, all the gremlins are in a movie theater watching Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, and Billy, Gizmo, and Kate trap them in there, pour gasoline, and burn it down. But they realize that Stripe is across the street in a department store, so they have a showdown in there with him. He almost gets the better of Billy with a crossbow and one of those machines that pitches baseballs. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Again, manipulating machinery. Yeah. Um, I thought Billy was so like useless in this battle. Like he was on the ground the whole time. <laughs> he really was. He was yeah. just like so afraid of that baseball machine. <laughs> yeah, I know. He like couldn't get up. He's yeah, yeah. I know this, this gremlin was like really going at him. Yeah, it was almost like he fainted at one point. Yeah, I know. <laughs> he like saw like the little cut on his face or something. Yeah, <laughs> just fainted. Yeah. Um, and just about as straight up. Stripe is about to jump into a fountain, which would create more gremlins, and Gizmo notices that the sun is rising and tears open the blinds, and Stripe is killed by the sunlight. And the movie wraps up with the shopkeeper from Chinatown coming to the Pelzer home, telling them that Western society isn't ready for this kind of responsibility. He takes Gizmo back, and Gizmo touchingly says, Bye, Billy. (laughs) And that's the end. And Kate and Billy kiss somewhere in there. Yeah, yeah, somewhere in there. Just <laughs> as a box, a box to check. Yeah. Is it, was that like when he's like lying on the ground all the gremlins going at him? Uh, no, I think it's like right when they enter the department store and they're about to have the showdown with Stripe. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Yeah. But that that might explain why he was like so uh, unbalanced and off his feet. Maybe he was still woozy from that kiss. 
He's like, I've been holding in this faint since I kissed yeah. Phoebe Cates. I barely made it this far. He was, it was actually just him as an actor fainting. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Got kissed by Phoebe. Uh, and at some point along the way, Kate explains the reason she hates Christmas. And she talks about how their dad disappeared on Christmas Eve and then they smelled something in the chimney and thought it was a dying animal and it was her dad pretending to be Santa who had slipped and broken his neck and was rotting in the chimney. Man, that is like one of my favorite stories or like parts of this movie. Yeah? <laughs> yeah, and I know there's like a... I, Spielberg, I think, wanted to cut it. Do you, mm-hmm. do you like that part? Um, I think it's fine. Um, I mean, it's it's dark. Yeah, it's very dark for sure. And it fleshes Kate's character out more. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. She says some, uh, like, between that and then there's another scene where she's talking about how on some nights, or on some Christmases, or sorry, on Christmas, some people are opening presents while other ones are opening their wrists. Yeah, so like talking about how the rate of suicides goes up on the holidays. Yeah, yeah. She was, she was dark. I kind of like that about her. She was dark. Yeah. Yeah. I liked it about her, too. I think they... I don't know, man. I love this movie, <laughs> and I like yeah. have good things to say about it. But I was just surprised how well they flesh things out and set things up to not really come back to them. Sure. One weird on that note, as they're like sitting there when right before the China um, town shopkeeper comes back mm-hmm. uh, at the end of the movie, there's a news story about how Mrs. Deagle di- has died, and this ends the deal with the chemical company like the real estate deal that was going to happen with the chemical company and it's like barely audible in the background oh that was the one that was going to take over the bar right oh is that what was going to happen i thought like that's why she was trying to knock down the bar where um oh yeah yeah so kate was trying to get a petition signed yeah yeah in the beginning so like is is that what you think they're tying out there yeah yeah but it was like barely audible it's just yeah yeah they didn't really give the audience a chance to have a an enough like yes moments. Right, right. And uh, I feel like there were characters that were introduced, like uh, his managers at the bank. Uh, I think one of them was Judge Reinhold, right? Yeah. Uh, I th- it would have been great to see them too, like later on, because like they they have a conversation early on, and um, there's definitely like one or two scenes with them, but they never come back. Yeah, and he's got a peer at the bank who is kind of his nemesis. Yeah, wasn't that Judge Reinhold? Oh, that's Judge Reinhold. Okay, gotcha. I think so. Yeah, I didn't think that was his boss. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. He's like VP or something. Yeah, uh, yeah. For hire. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, it would have been fun to see that guy get his cup up, come up and says, well, but you never see him again. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I would have liked to have seen the Futtermans again. Mm-hmm. Uh, like a Billy Redemption arc where him and his dad turn out to be somebody's after all. Maybe because one of the Pelter inventions helps them defeat the Gremlins and then it's... That- Turns yeah. out it's going to be their financial future. That would have been really cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, there was a lot that I just thought they could have come back to. Didn't the Futtermans die in this film? No, because they come back in Gremlins 2. They do come back in the sequel, but like, if you had just watched this film, wouldn't you assume... Like, I mean, watching this this time, it kind of felt like they, they were killed, because last time you see them, there's like a bulldozer, or like a tractor going at them, right? Yeah, but I think they get out of the way. And didn't they... Wasn't the... Uh, cop call oh. even about that where the cops received a call from the Futtermans oh yeah yeah you're right something about a tractor or something yeah yeah 
Okay. Yeah, maybe that wasn't. I can't remember if that was them or not. Yeah. So then, then uh, yeah, yeah. I guess you're right that they never really close out the loop on them. Yeah. And like even Billy and Kate's relationship, I thought they were both good actors in this, and I thought they were charming and had really good chemistry. Yeah. Um, but they never really had a, a their relationship didn't have much of an arc. Didn't have like a triumphant moment or it wasn't tested in any way. We just got that kiss squeezed in there to to say we did it. That's true, but I mean, like the, this was this whole movie was like the start of the relationship, right? Because he asks her out, but then that night, like the the town gets attacked. So I, I think they were supposed to go on their first date, like a few days from uh, the night that this movie takes place. Yeah, yeah. But but yeah, I mean, like they've known each other for a while, and you, I guess you'd ex- you'd expect uh, something a little more climatic. Yeah, yeah, or even just like get Kate to say like, "God, I hate Christmas," as she's like doing oh. something really important in the uh, <laughs> showdown, like. Yeah. Just tie some of these things back, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that would have been pretty cool. Did she, was there a scene of her, like, killing any gremlins? I, I don't think so. I don't oh, think at the so. bar, right? Yeah, yeah. Right. She. I don't know if she killed any, but she definitely, she got out of there. She yeah. aptly navigated that situation. Yeah, But yeah. I don't think she was super involved in the conclusion. Yeah, I think you're right. And, yeah, that would have been really cool to see her kind of, like, uh, yeah, g- 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 knock out a few and bring that Christmas hatred back. Yeah. Yeah, use that Christmas hatred against these gremlins. Yeah. <laughs> that been sweet. Um, that being said, it's a lot of fun. It is, yeah, yeah. I feel like overall it's a, it's a really fun movie. Um, one thing that uh, kind of struck me this time, um, well, a few things, but uh, I really like those first two kills, like the intimacy of when it's the science teacher and the gremlin and like that first one, and then the, the mother fighting the gremlin in, in the house, like the, the batch of them, like great, great attack scenes and like a lot of fun. And then yeah. after that, I feel like this third act was mostly them just kind of wreaking havoc on the town as a whole. And do you feel like we still got like that same level of scare or like attacks or was it more just kind of clowning around and, and being more goofy? I, I think you're right on the money there. It's just kind of a, a display of the gremlins and how goofy and silly they are. Yeah. Um, and even though the scale of things, like you said, these attacks are kind of intimate and the scale increases. It's the whole town now. But in a way, it never gets bigger in terms of like the impact to the viewer, right? Like, yeah, right. It, the stakes don't feel high. They trap them in this movie theater and it explodes. And that happens pretty fast. It almost feels a little rushed. It does, yeah. Almost like too easy. Yeah, like the gremlins do see them and almost catch them. Yeah. But there's no like, uh, hey, Billy tripped and now we're really in trouble. Like, yeah. It just kind of all, like you said, it's a little too easy. Yeah, yeah, right, um, right. And I noticed something that I wouldn't have noticed. And I watched this last year and felt similarly about it. And I think I like wrote a little review to myself that the conclusion didn't wasn't as impactful as I thought it would be. Mm-hmm. And my wife kind of helped me figure out why she, as they were going into that department store that Stripe was in, she was like, oh no, I'm worried that Gizmo's going to be in some serious trouble. Oh, yeah. yeah. And he never really was. No. Like, I feel like that would have made that last scene um, just amped it up a little bit more, right? Yeah, because that's like the character everyone's like got their heart invested in and like has grown to love. Yeah. Uh, that that would have been pretty cool. I thought there was a Gizmo showdown. Maybe, maybe that's in part two or something. Uh, but in this one, you're right. He's kind of, I know he gets like uh, like bullied by them while, while uh, they're at the house. But other than that, he's like pretty safe, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, he ends up being the one to essentially kill Stripe. Um, 
Right. But it's just not a, it lacks some emotional punch and you're never really worried about him in that sequence. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But boy, in the, uh, in Gremlins 2, he has that badass moment uh, with the, like, Rambo. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's, like, shooting arrow, bone arrows at people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Specifically the spider gremlin. Oh, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, pretty badass. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, you're right. That, that's kind of missing from this film. Um, that, 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 would, that would I think that would have added a lot more uh, emotional scares or, or worries if, yeah. if he was ever in danger. Um, I do think the flip side of this, um, they didn't, you know, knock enough things down that they had set up was that I did think they did a good job setting everything up. Like I like everybody's backstory. I like that we know, feel like we know Kingston Falls as a town and as a community. Yeah. Um, and I really liked all the characters, even if they didn't really necessarily have much of an arc. Sure. Yeah, it felt really realistic up front, uh, that all that scene setting, and it's just like a small town where everyone kind of knows each other, and you see the sheriff and the Christmas trees being sold. It, it felt very real. Yeah. It was a good job there. Yeah. Uh, but but yeah, you're right. I mean, like when like all that havoc's breaking out at the end, you don't get the sense that like everything that you saw in the beginning is like breaking down because these gremlins are everywhere. Um, it, it is kind of like a limited view for the, for, for the damage you're seeing. Yeah, for sure. And I think... One of the reasons it starts to feel slow is because in that second act, and yeah, mostly the second act, I guess, that's basically just an exhibit exhibition of the gremlins and how wacky and mischievous they are, mm-hmm. Billy and Gizmo really dip out of the movie for a while there. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yep. They're, they're not really, they're pretty passive. Yeah, yeah, right. While well, the action's happening. Yeah, like they're not even on, like, they're not alo- only are they passive, but they're really not even on screen that much there. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a good point. That makes it really hard then to kind of keep a, a consistent narrative or like a character that you're following as they're like observing the destruction going on. Yeah. Um, well, buddy, I always feel like even with movies I really like, I end up speaking negatively about them more than positively. Sometimes it just <laughs> feels easier, doesn't it? Unfortunately. Oh man, <laughs> I wish. So I saw this movie two years ago too, and I think there's one big thing that struck out to me this time, uh, which I feel like that you know when I googled it, because I'm like this can't just be me, but uh, when I looked it up, uh, I, I feel like other people have criticized the movie on this as well, and I, I'm just wondering if, if like this hit you at all. But do you feel like there's something um, controversial about these gremlins? Like I, I feel like throughout this film, there's kind of this subtext about you know there's. Uh, you know, the, the, the gremlin comes from uh, Chinatown in, in New York, maybe. Um, but so, you know, it's kind of like an East versus West kind of mentality. And then uh, th- that's kind of what causes the destruction. You have a character who's really uh, always kind of talking about foreign cars and foreign electronics being, uh, um, you know, uh, worse off than, uh, you know, the, the American-made stuff. And uh, and then there's some criticism, too, about like how the gremlins are portraying, you know, certain uh, minority groups. Uh, did, did you happen to fall on any of this? I noticed as I was watching the, you know, gremlins have this foreign origin. Um, and even though in, in World War II it was British airplanes, but then they do, their origin is from this shop in Chinatown in the movie. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, it's kind of, um, and in that documentary that came out last year, Horror Noir, like a history of black black horror movies and black representation in horror movies. Yeah they talk about um, like kind of the character, like a black character in movies who's like magic or represents some sort of 
wisdom. Um, sure. Further removed from, I don't know, practical, capitalistic, scientific society. Yeah. Um, and that happened here with this Chinese shopkeeper, right? Like he was yeah. kind of the the mystical wisdom type character. Right, right. Which for like the early 80s, I think makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, I think I think that's where Hollywood is. But then uh, I feel like there's also some commentary about, and I, this really jumped out to me this time, about how these gremlins, what do you think about it? Like this is a small town, uh, kind of affluent or, or whatever, and it's attacked. And uh, the way the gremlins are portrayed, you don't think... Um, I, I mean, I, I think a lot of people have called out like that this might have been uh, referencing... Or, or like the, you know even their behaviors in terms of like how they're dressed and like the music they're listening to and how they're acting at the bar that like they're uh, they're um, kind of like a symbolism or like they're kind of uh, shit what's the word for it like representing negative black stereotypes it, exactly yeah thanks I, <laughs> That's exactly. yeah I read that <laughs> I felt like you were trying to find. <laughs> uh, the least offensive way to say that. Yeah, I knew you could do it. Thanks. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, that, that kind of jumped out to me this time watching it. Like, they, they are kind of playing on a lot of stereotypes here. And, like, do you feel like this movie would hold up today if it came out in this manner? You know, unfortunately, I did not notice that um, this time or any time. And I, I read it later. Um, and I think that's because, you know, I'm so used to seeing stuff like that that shame on me i don't always notice it and i think a lot of the behavior of the gremlins is very kind of like looney tunesy yeah yeah and i think that stuff exists in looney tunes so when i see that stuff i'm like oh this is looney tunesy and i don't even realize oh yeah looney tunes is kind of the underlying um yeah problematicness of it sure Um, sure so no i didn't notice it but you you caught that huh uh it felt a little bit on the nose at certain points uh That, but I, you know, I, I, I don't know. Uh, but yeah, they, they, when I googled it, yeah, there are like a number of articles out there about like how this is kind of like a racist movie. And even at the end, uh, when the shop owner comes, he kind of gives it back to them and says, "This is what happens when like the West uh, tries to like kind of take over nature. Like you, you guys don't know how to appreciate nature." So I, I just feel like there was a subtext in this movie about like East versus West, or um, yeah, you know, some kind some kind of minority versus the the the, the main uh, people of the town. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And it's difficult there, too, because someone could say, well, what's so problematic about, you know, Eastern culture being more or wiser than Western culture? But yeah, um, I think it can be a little reductive in some ways. Like, well, they're, yeah. they're not as civilized as us. They're connected to this old ancient wisdom. Like, Right, right. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah, which I yeah, I mean early 80s I, I feel like that that's like what Hollywood that was kind of the narrative they had back then for a lot of yeah. films. So. Yeah, and I mean you can see that pattern too just like the some of the movies we discuss. Like remember Child's Play, the like they go to the voodoo guy who oh. was like his mentor which was a black dude. Yeah, um, yeah. There's a lot of other times we've seen that. I can't think of all of them now. That's true. That's true. So, yeah. Yeah, it's just minorities together and um, Carol Clover talks about that in Men, Women, and Chainsaws, too. Like, women and minorities tend to play the roles that are more connected to some uh, less tangible truths, whereas the men, white men, are the practical scientific knowledge. You know, oh. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. That, that makes sense. Yeah, the more. Like, the minorities and women are like a, like a softer type of knowledge. 
Sure, more like feelers. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah, definitely a trope uh, that that we see often. Right. Um, but yeah, yeah, I, I think that part kind of stood out to me for the first time because I've seen this multiple times. I never caught that before, but for some reason this time uh, it jumped out a little bit. But I, I, I wonder what a modern day retelling like how they would do that or if if they would change anything about it. Yeah. Um, but I think that I don't know for sure. I got a little bit of the vibe that the Gremlins three script might be a little bit scarier. Oh, cool. Um, I'm not totally sure though. Were there any points in this one, uh, like where you wanted it to be scary? Like I, you know, when the mother like starts to fight them, I, I thought like it'd be so cool if she got killed. But I, I, I don't know. Were there, were there parts where you wanted it to be darker, or scarier? I just would have liked whether it would have been darker or just more suspenseful. I would have liked more sequences, like you mentioned, like with the mom and the scientist, the yeah, science teacher. Yeah. Is a science yeah. teacher a scientist? Um, not sure, all, right? There's no like the official uh, certification you have to go through to be a, called a scientist, right? That's true. Is that even like a job title? Like, is someone ever like, I'm so and so, I'm a scientist? Is that? Um, I would think. Huh. It's not like researcher or research analyst, or right? But it might, yeah. Colloquially, scientist. maybe that's a scientist. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. Um, yeah, I would have liked more of that stuff, but um, I don't know, man. It's a it's a fun movie. It's hard to disconnect my childhood affinity for these movies. Yeah. From from some of the more practical elements of the story and its weaknesses. Right. Um, I think in movies the things you do really well can outshine all your errors and i think the way the gremlins look the cuteness of gizmo and just the overall originality of the story the the premise really um Mm kind of carries this movie a long way i agree i mean i I can't think of a more like iconic uh holiday thriller and yeah Yeah. all those like the characters the effects you said even the music uh, so many great things that like make this movie uh, like the legend that it is. Yeah, yeah. The the music really haven't talked enough about. I mean, how much can you really talk about music without going into like <laughs> chord progressions? But it really is special. It is. It is. Yeah. Uh, it, yeah. It makes it feel like kind of fa- fantastical, which is which is great. Yeah. Well, on that note, oh, music pun. Zero to five <laughs> bathroom buddies. What do you give this? Um, you know, I think, uh, how many, how many, sorry, was the score bathroom buddies? <laughs> the bathroom buddy was that little invention, uh, that had like oh, the toothbrush yeah. and the razor all in <laughs> the same little capsule. The one that didn't work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd give this four out of five. I mean, I was going with three and a half out of five. Uh, but I mean, yeah, this used to be one of my favorite films and I think that nostalgia factor really kicks in. So I, I think probably a four out of five, uh, would be my 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 number. What about you? Yeah, yeah, that's right where I'm at too. My argument being it's it's strength overshines some of these story flaws and yeah, it's just got got some nostalgia for me, I'll admit it. Nice. Yeah, yeah, that's hard to deny. Yeah. Cool. Anything else before we wrap up here? Uh no. That was a fun one. Cool. All right, everybody. Well, that has been our discussion on Gremlins. Uh, We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, you can leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. That helps other people find our show, and we really appreciate it. You can connect with us at horrormovieclub.com. We've got a drop-down there for our social links where you can find Facebook and Twitter. That is where we announce what movie we're covering next week. We've also got a link there for our Discord server uh, where we're chatting with listeners and fans and friends 
Um, and that conversation has really been popping lately, so if you want to talk about horror movies or even just pop culture in general, just join our Discord server. I think you'll have a nice time. And uh, what else we got? Our logo's done by Amy Mae Popart. You can check her out at Etsy.com. We've got Patreon content, patreon.com slash horrormovieclub. Only have probably about three bonus episodes, but if you want to support the show financially, you can throw us a buck on there. Until next time, if your air conditioner goes on the fritz, or your washing machine blows up, or your video recorder cocks out, before you call the repairman, turn on all the lights, check all the closets and cupboards, look under all the beds, because you never can tell. There just might be a gremlin in your house. <laughs> Merry Christmas, everybody. Yeah, Merry Christmas. Christmas.